It is often a great mystery why some hear the word of God, receive the gospel and get saved, while others in very similar situations, very similar or even the same stages of life and experience, get saved while others refuse to give their life over to the Lord. R.C. Sproul, a pastor, professor, and theologian, he went to be with the Lord just a few years ago. I think one of the greatest, if not the greatest, Bible teachers of our age recounted on how the night he went forward to receive Christ, his best friend went as well. And while it clearly stuck for R.C. Sproul, his friend woke up the next morning and walked himself back from the faith. Why is it that one person can hear and believe and another person can hear and ignore? How is it that in our own lives, we can hear one day and not hear another day or spend a lifetime not hearing and only in the final days as life comes to a close, come to know him as so many have come before us and found Christ in those final days of their lives, having missed an entire lifetime of praising and glorifying the Lord. We're in the book of Mark, and we're coming back in at chapter 4. Jesus has been teaching the crowds. He has been training up his disciples to proclaim the powerful word of God and to equip them to perform miracles and healings. Two weeks ago, when I was with you last, we heard Jesus open up the family, his family, to all those who would do God's will, trusting in him and believing into salvation and living a life of obedience. Where we come in in Mark chapter 4, we are meeting perhaps the largest crowd that Jesus has to this date preached to. It's so large, we're told, that he actually did have to get into a boat and preach from the sea. And as he begins teaching, he is going to begin teaching in sort of a new way, at least as far as the book of Mark is concerned, and that is the use of parables. Now, if you've been a Christian for very long, you've probably heard a sermons on or about the parables. I know I have many times. One of the things that stands out to me the most from my early days as a kid and a teenager growing up in the church is that every preacher I ever heard told me that Jesus spoke in parables so that everybody could understand him. Now, in one way, yes, parables, the, the telling of, of a simple story to illustrate a point is true. Jesus spoke these stories, and the, honestly, I think most children could get the basic idea of them. But every preacher who ever told me that he spoke so that everybody would understand was either mistaken or lying. Because the scriptures clearly give us a very different picture for why the parables were spoken. And this is going to fast forward us past the beginning of the parable into the middle of our passage today to Mark chapter 4, verse 10 through 12. 
Yes, parables can be understood by the smallest of children, but no, they cannot be grasped by everybody. Here's what it says. Again, Mark chapter 4, verse 10. When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. Hear this, and this is a quote out of Isaiah. They may indeed see, but not perceive. They may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Friends, what we need to know about the parables is that Jesus spoke in them so that everybody wouldn't get it. And we don't necessarily understand why or how that would be. We, we are confused by that kind of a truth. Why wouldn't Jesus speak in a way that everybody could get it and hear and listen and believe and be saved? And we don't know. Within the mercy of God, within the sovereignty of God, he has a different plan. And as the Apostle Paul would say in Romans 9, who are we to guess that or second guess that? Jesus spoke in parables so that there would be some who would never get it. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 12, uh, in Matthew 13 is where you get the same set of parables that Mark is telling here. Matthew adds, and I don't mean he adds to what Jesus said, but he records more of what Jesus said. When he says, for to the one who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance, but from the one who is not, even what he has will be taken away. What this means is that the parables build on each other. But not only do the parables build on each other, but they build on the foundation that exists within every believer. And that foundation comes the moment the Holy Spirit begins to work in us, begins to regenerate us in such a way that would cause us to be able to say yes to the Lord. The parables build on a foundation, the foundation of each other as you read, understand more and more of them, but building on the foundation of the work of the Holy Spirit in someone's life. And so to the one who has that, more is given. But for those who don't have that, not only do they not get that, but what they have is actually taken away. The wisdom, the truth, what they have what they bear, what they think they have, proves to be nothing over time as they continue to not get the gospel, not get the truth of God. And that's actually Jesus's point in this first parable. And, and we begin to see that as we un unravel some of the other details around the parable. We haven't even read the parable yet, but we will get there soon. In verse 3, Jesus begins the parable by saying this, Listen, behold. It literally means um, to uber-listen. To hyper-listen. What he's saying is, don't just hear this with your ears, but listen with your heart and your mind and your life. Then in verse 9, this is the other end of the parable. This sandwiches the parable. He says this, 
And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who would, who would truly listen to this, let him hear. And not just hear and process the information, but live it in obedience as he calls us in verse 3. This begins to tell us what this entire parable is about. And in fact, if you've never noticed the fact that he sandwiches his parable with two different commands to listen, then it may be that you've never come to an actual understanding of this parable. Because he's focused on this crowd of people all around him actually hearing what he has to say and actually listening to what he wants them to listen to and to do. It should not be lost on us that Jesus is speaking to the largest crowd he's spoken to. And should not be lost on you and I who have read the Bible before, if you have. And if you haven't, let me tell you what happens in a handful of chapters. By the end of Jesus' life, almost nobody is following him. Maybe 120 are there finally at the end that see him through. Barely anybody. This is a crowd of thousands who are hearing him. But are they actually listening? See, Jesus wants for them to be a crowd, a multitude, thousands, who would hear, listen, and obey. But he knows that that is not the case. And I want to begin with a warning for us because Kent R. Hughes, he's a, he's a commentator, he, he writes this, what a solemn reality for those who sit under the teaching of God's word week after week and do not respond to it. I want to tell you my prayer this whole week as I've been working through this passage, I've been thinking about my own heart, my own life, my own kids, my own wife, my own family, and about this congregation, that we would be a people that would not only hear the words that I have to say, but that scripture that Christ has already said, but that we would be people who listen and go and do, that we would internalize that, that we would do what the parable is calling us to do, and that's actually to respond to Jesus. And I pray that over, over the group and center and over Monta Vista and over the radio as it goes out next week and over the whoever might listen to this thing on the, on the internet over the next month or two or whenever. I mean, just remember, this is the way Jesus starts his teaching with parables. He wants them to hear and listen. So hear the parable as Jesus Taught it and, and as he explained it. Now, I will tell you, we're going to read verses three through nine, but we're not going to read the second half of this. We'll come back to that as, as we move through it, but essentially he says much the same thing twice. What I want you to focus on is what he actually taught the crowd and what he actually said to them. Please listen to me. Hear these words. So, starting in verse three, it says, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and he sowed some seed, fell, all, fell along the path. The birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. 
And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Church, again, I come back to that question that I began with. What is it that causes some to hear and others to not? What is that leads some to hear, but never have any of the fruit that's spoken of in our passage to have their seeds carried off, roots that die, or plants that are crushed, while others, upon hearing, become what is described best here as good soil. Now, to answer that, I want to start off first with what it is not. What, what doesn't cause that? And in our passage, there are two things that does not cause that. The first is the sower, and the second is the seed. Neither the sower nor the seed cause what we see in the division between, in results or responses to the gospel or to the word of God. The first, let's take a look at the good sower. I call him the good sower because uh, it sounds good, but also because he literally is a good sower. The description here is of a good sower. And in modern times, we might not think so. We might look at him and say he's kind of a fool, right? Because he takes his, his seed, he goes out, whether it's a bag or a bucket or whatever, and he reaches his hand in there and he just casts it out everywhere. And only one in four seeds, it seems, actually makes it to a place that will produce a crop. I mean, we might look at him in efficiency and be like, hey, buddy, it's time to rethink your job. But he's the good sower. In fact, it was not the sower's job to decide what kind of soil he was casting out into, what kind of soil he was sowing into. He had one job, and that job was to throw seeds. The good sower is indiscriminate in their throwing, in their sowing of seeds. Right From the surface, sometimes it's pretty hard to tell what is good soil and what is not. And so rather than taking the time to try to figure out whether or not this seed in this spot will grow, they just throw the seed and move on. This is a good sower. Ezekiel 2, 4 through 5, God commands Ezekiel much the same way. He says to Ezekiel, the descendants also are impudent and stubborn. I, this is God, I send you to them, and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God. And whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. It wasn't Ezekiel's job to go out and figure out which of those he might go to might actually hear and listen. No, his job was to go out and speak the truth of God to anybody and everybody. The good sower does not make evaluations about who people are 
in order to proclaim the gospel to them. They just sow the seeds and trust that because the seed also is good, we're going to come to that, that there will be results. Tell you what, ministry and certainly evangelism would be so much easier if we could only ever speak or if we only needed to ever speak with those whom, as the Bible describes, to be the elect. You know, those who from the beginning of time have their name written in the book of life. I mean, it would be so much easier to go minister and evangelize. I've often mused as a pastor how great it would be if on the doors of the church we had a metal detector-like item. That as somebody passed through, it would beep, saved, will be saved, or not a chance. It would make my job a lot easier. It would make all of our jobs a lot easier. Likewise, if we were doing door-to-door evangelism or sharing the gospel with strangers in the supermarket, that we could have a little metal detector-like wand that would pass over, right, and say, yes, go ahead and share the gospel because this is going to be great. Or no, just don't even bother, move on to the next guy. We don't have that. Spurgeon once quipped, until God gives me the role, sorry, until God gives me the roll call of the elect, I shall continue preaching the whosoever will gospel. That is the gospel we are to preach today. The good sower casts the seed, unconcerned, about what will happen with the seed. The Apostle Paul lived this way. He, he instructed in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, he said this, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Right, the Apostle Paul seems to be saying, just throw the seeds out. Right? Just love everybody. Share the gospel with whomever. According to this parable, there's only one bad sower, and that is the sower that in fear of seed falling on the hard path or on the rocks or amongst hidden weeds never scatters any seed even to the good soil. So it's not the sower. It's not the sower that makes the difference. And and I want us to remember that because some of us are afraid to walk out the door and talk about Jesus because we're afraid we won't do it well enough. We're afraid that we won't have the right words, the right answers to questions, or whatever that might look like. And guess what? You won't. I don't. But it's not up to the sower. Right? It's not up to the sower. But not only do we have a good sower in our passage here, we also have good seeds. How do we know they're good seeds? We know they're good seeds because when they get planted, they do what? They grow. Back three out of Four of these situations, plants are produced. There is growth that happens. And even in the first case where there is no plant, it's not the seed's fault. It's that the birds came and ate the seeds and flew off with them, right? And so we know the seed is good. Now we also know the seed is good because Jesus tells it, it tells us that it is. In his explanation, in verse 14, he simply says this: the sower sows the word. So the seeds in his parable are the word of God that are getting sent out, spread out by the sower. Of course, that then 
automatically should make us realize that the sower also is good because the sower is God. And because the sower is Jesus casting out the word of God. In fact, Jesus is actually illustrating this parable as he speaks. He is casting out the seed amongst this multitude of crowd, even though he, knowing some of it will be on the path and some in rocky soil and some in the weeds, and only some will actually become his real disciples. Right? The seed is good because it is the word of God. And this also should be encouraging to us because Isaiah 55, 11 says this, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. This means what Isaiah is talking about is casting out seed of a sowing, the word of God. You you throw it out and you know what happens? It does what it's supposed to do. And what we see in parables and, and particularly in verses 10 through 12, and back in that verse we read from Matthew chapter 13, 12, is that it does accomplish its purpose. And that purpose to some is to soften and grow. And that purpose to others is actually to harden. And we all know people who have been hardened by the word of God. I mean, they read it, they hear it, and they get angry. Angrier than they were before they heard it. But know this, the, the purpose of the word never returns empty and void. It always accomplishes its purpose. And so we have this good sower throwing out good seed, the word of God. And finally, we come to what makes the difference. And the difference what is made is the quality of soil. And every Farmer here, every gardener here, everybody knows that the soil makes a lot of difference. I mean, if you've got bad seed, it doesn't matter what kind of soil you have. And if you have zero skill in planting even good seed, it, you know, it may not do what you want it to do. But, but the soil at that point, if you have a good sower who knows what they're doing, right, and you have good seeds that are getting planted, what do you need? You need good soil. And so Jesus gives us four qualities of good soil. We say, no, he didn't. He told us three kinds that are really bad and one that's good. Well, sometimes we have to take what's bad and turn it to good so we can see what Jesus is saying. So number one, the qual first quality of good soil is that it is soft. Good soil is soft. Verse four, he sowed some seed, fell along the path. The birds came and devoured it. Verse 15, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Now, the very nature of a path through a field is that of being hard. A lot of mornings, I get up, and rather than leaving out of our dirt road, I, I leave and I come out of our farm road. Our farm road cuts almost three miles off the drive to just not go all the way around. Our farm road is made of the exact same dirt as the field. But if I drove my truck off into the field, even my truck would be likely to get stuck in the freshly furrowed 
soil, right? It's the same dirt, but one is hard packed. One is the path. And this is exactly what we can picture as Jesus is talking here, because what he's picturing is, is it's of a field, and it's got dirt and a place where things grow, and it's got a path where people walk and carts go and animals walk. And the one is hard and the other is soft. So the seed gets thrown out and it hits that path and it just bounces across it. And the moment that that happens, and we can all picture this too, is these birds just fly out of nowhere and just come grab it. It's like seagulls at the beach. Right? You hold up a French fry, they eat your fry, and then 7,000 all of a sudden appear. We feed the birds at our house. We've got a couple bird feeders. I've been watching them this week, thinking about this verse. And they fly in and they flitter off and they fly in and they flitter off and, and hundreds of dollars of bird seed just disappears. I'll tell you, in Lahana, we had a bird feeder for about three weeks because we also had cats. And what we realized is that we were not feeding birds bird seed. We were feeding cats birds. And so we stopped that because it was morbid, okay? But this is the picture that we should have is, is these birds flying in, they grab the seed and they fly away. And it's, and it's like that never happened. And that's what it's like when we are hard to the word of God. And the seed just hits and bounces and the birds come and go. This is a, an impressive image and Jesus just adds to it in his explanation because he takes the birds out of his explanation and who does he add in? He adds Satan. Because church, we have a very real enemy who wants nothing more than to steal, kill, and destroy you and me and our church and the kingdom of God. And so he swoops in and just like a bird snatches up that good seed and never gets it a chance to grow. Now I want to say, on, on the one hand, we've all been in this moment, and I want to share this, to say this this way, because I think, I think we can all experience a bit of this. All right, maybe the pastor said something really good in a sermon, or maybe it was just as the word of God got read, something stuck in your head and your heart, or maybe while somebody was singing, the lyrics just really broke in, and you begin to do it, a thing begins to happen in your heart. Right, conviction of, of sin in your life or the need to actually choose to follow Jesus or some neighbor that, that you know God wants you to love and you've got all this and it's working and flowing and then your stomach grumbles because the pastor talked too long and you're hungry and then a kid cries out and then somebody else, sorry about this, Cynthia, because I was going to say it before, coughs. <laughs> Thank you for illustrating my point right? And suddenly that thing is gone. And it's not coming back. I mean, you got to go sit down that night and, oh, there was a thing and you're praying about it and you're writing before it finally comes back. It takes work. Why? Because Satan likes nothing more than to grab every one of those word of God morsels that hits you and bounces off to keep from taking root. Now, I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about, but I think that gives us an idea of of what he's talking about, because this is what happens. People are so concerned with the world. They're hard, right? Maybe, maybe they grew up real hard. Maybe they came from a family that just hardened their hearts to all things good. Or maybe they've had sin in their life that, that keeps them from being able to think about anything beyond their immediate. Or maybe they're just so busy 
that they don't even have time to ponder the word of God as they drive from one thing to another. To be hard is to be closed to the gospel. At the extreme of this is, is those people that even when a child smiles at them, all they can do is scowl back. Right? And the grace, the mercy, the love of God just, it doesn't get through. It's, it's literally like a fancy raincoat in a rainstorm. The raincoat doesn't even get wet. It just bounces off. Bad soil is hard, but good soil is soft. But the second quality of good soil is that it is deep. It is deep. Here's what Jesus says. Other seed fell on rocky ground and where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. He adds to that verse 16, these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. Right, good soil is deep, but bad soil is shallow, right? Shallow soil produces scorching in plants, and that's Jesus' point. Now, most of the ground where Jesus was speaking at would have been described this way. What it was was a handful of inches of pretty good, fertile soil sitting on top of a lot of limestone bedrock with only a few inches in some places to really make a difference. And you can picture this, the sun's beating down, Seed gets in, seeds germinate at a certain temperature. That temperature happens faster in shallow soil because it has a lot less to heat up. In that moment, it, it bursts forth and it grows like crazy because all the conditions are just right. But then the sun continues to get hotter and what happens? That little tiny plant, because that's what we should picture here, which was so excited to live, suddenly has no water left. And the heat just shrivels it and crutch, crushes it. Jesus explains that these are those who receive with joy, but then quickly fall away. I want to say some of us were this person. And then praise the Lord that the Lord did a good work in us later. But some of us were this person and then we never got more. These are some of the most passionate proclaimers of the word of God, of the kingdom of God, of the church. These are the people, I mean, they, they spring up and they've got great and amazing testimonies and everybody wants them to hear and share and it's so exciting. A lot of times that exuberance then actually leads to persecution and tribulation because, and I'm going to be a little bit honest here and a little bit self-revealing, they are obnoxious. And suddenly things get hard. And suddenly it's not worth it anymore. I remember the first time I decided to open my mouth about the gospel. It was at lunch class when I was a senior in high school. About five minutes later, I had a 50-gallon trash can dumped over my head. You know whose fault it was? Mine. Because I was obnoxious. I thought I had all the answers and all the truth, and I could just go out and do this thing. It was not the case. Like I said, fortunately, some of us got a chance to grow again. <laughs> the trouble is some of these folks are those who hate the gospel and Jesus and the church the most. 
Because what they've done is they've, they've awakened enough just to taste the goodness. But they've never tasted enough. They didn't have enough to feast on the goodness of God before they fell away. And so they go out searching for arguments with Christians. They go out and troll on Facebook and on YouTube and all these things because they are angry. And those who were the most passionate before now become the angriest. Because bad soil is shallow, but good soil is deep. All right, the third quality of good soil is that it is clear of weeds. It is clear of weeds. Verse 7, other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Verse 18, others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And I just want to point out that these seeds grow. They grow a lot. Right? They grow to the point where, where they're probably getting fairly healthy, but what happens around them is the weeds that were already there, they, the weeds thrive off the same water that, that grows the seed into a plant, and they take off. I want to tell you, I didn't understand these verses until we moved to rural Colorado. Now, La Junta was worse than it is up here. Some of you can't imagine that. But I mean, down in La Junta, you if you went away for a weekend... You'd come back to six-foot-tall weeds in your yard. You'd be like, where did you come from? And it's the same sort of thing up here with, where you've got cultivated ground and the weeds are always pushing in on it, always trying to grow. And every bit that you water helps them grow eight times more than the plants you wanted to grow. Now you can picture the sower throwing out seeds and you can picture those Weeds not actually being out of the ground yet, right? They're just roots underneath. And, and as the seed grows, they grow and, and they're crushed out. Now, this may be sin and sins, addictions, temptations, right? This is the stuff on the inside. The, the, last, the last soil was the stuff on the outside. It was the, temp, it was the trials, the tribulations that came. But this seed, this seed gets affected by what's inside its own soil. This is why John Owen said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Because when that seed begins to grow and it's just surrounded by all these weeds, it just crushes you. Some of us, we, we tend to the weeds in our life more than we tend to the gospel in our life. Like we, we give the weeds secret fertilizer in the quiet of the night when we're alone. And the gospel's sitting over and going, I want some of that. We also don't have to guess at what Jesus was speaking about here because he's pretty plain in his explanation. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. Anything, particularly the cares of the world, the riches that we might pursue rather than the gospel and all these other things that we might put first, these are the things that choke out the plant before it can even fruit. I had a young man in our church. He had been a former addict. He was in recovery. 
He accepted the gospel. He accepted Christ. And his story was, was great. His grandfather was so excited and prayed for him every day for years. Young man went on a, on a men's retreat with us. We went, we went down to a canyon. We were camping as men, and we were having this great time. We're, and he's just, I could tell he's enjoying the Lord. It wasn't more than six weeks later that he just disappeared. And it turns out that, that he had gotten the idea from somewhere that Jesus was not compatible with making a lot of money. Now, I tell you, there are certain ways that Jesus is not compatible with making a lot of money. But he had gotten his idea that, that if he followed Christ, he could never have the stuff that he wanted. Which, if it was that important to him, probably was true. The trouble was that the life of addiction also wasn't compatible with a life of riches. And without Christ in his life, do you know what happened to him? He fell back into his addictions. This is the exact kind of situation Jesus is speaking about. The plant grows, but amongst weeds, and the weeds crush before there's fruit. And these, are the, these are the kind of people that might still be around church. I mean, they're here Sunday morning, but they're uninterested other times. They're here Christmas and Easter, but that's about all they can muster because they like the idea of God and they like the idea of the gospel and they like the church, but they've got all these other cares. And so Jesus isn't second or third or fourth or fifth priority. He's somewhere down there that can be mustered when everything else works out. Good soil is free of weeds that choke out the plant. And that leads us to the fourth, the fourth quality of good soil. Good soil grows good fruit. Good soil grows good fruit. You say, well, what kind of fruit does it grow? And I want to tell you, when I, when I was younger, I was told by more than one person that good fruit meant the salvation of other people. <laughs> that good fruit meant good ministry, and the good fruit was the, the produce in other people's lives. And I, I want to say this really quickly. Yes, but not yet. Okay? Ephesians 5, or Ephesians 2.10 tells us this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are meant, we are saved, we are made for good works. But that is the end of fruitfulness, not the beginning of fruitfulness. The beginning of fruitfulness is in Galatians 5, 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. See, the good works flow out of fruit that we actually are meant to have. And here's what we know. It's not up to the sower to make the produce, right? To, to grow the plant. It's not up to any of us to, to the results down the road. We can share the gospel and nothing can ever come from it. And that doesn't mean that you're not fruitful. I was told that years and decades of guilt because I'm a disciple or not an evangelist. Now, that doesn't mean I haven't seen some people come to the Lord. 
But I was always told that the fruit was seeing your friends come to Jesus. And man, that was painful because my friends didn't come to Jesus. The fruit that we are told to expect is the seed, the word of God grows in the good soil is peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, love, and joy, which in that time I read it and I didn't include the first two until the end. So sorry if that threw anybody off. Jesus speaks of this fruit though, and, and it's amazing. I love what he says about the fruit here. He says it in both the, the parable and the explanation. Verse eight, other seeds fell into good soil, producing grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And then in his explanation of verse 20, he says, but those that were sown in the good soil, the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. In Jesus's day, a farmer could expect, could hope for up to a 10% or, or a times 10 yield. A times 10 yield. That means if you throw one bag of seed out, at the end of the crop, you have 10. That was hoped for. But what Jesus says here is that those who hear and accept and let the word grow in the soil can expect 30 or 60 or 100 times. I mean, that starts to get into modern hopes for yields. Genesis 26, 12 tells us this, and Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. Well, of course Isaac became very rich if everybody else was getting 10 and he was getting a hundred out of his crop. But notice this. As it says that he reaped a hundredfold, it immediately says the Lord blessed him. The blessing was the hundredfold. What this means as we go back to our parable, as we think about it, it means that that fruit comes from where? God. See, what makes the good soil is not the soil. It's the one who makes it that way. It's the one who would sow the seed and and the seed would grow and, and that work would begin where? That work begins with the Holy Spirit in our lives. And this is the gospel. We don't grow a hundredfold on our own. We grow a hundredfold because this is what God is doing. Because Jesus Christ gave up his life for us laid it out so that we could live. It's not our doing, it is his doing. And the fruit that we see that comes out of that is his doing, so that no one can boast. And so according to Jesus, in our passage here, this is because those who are good fruit have heard and listened, perceived and understood. In fact, here's what he says in his explanation, those that were sown in the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it. And it's the same language we use for salvation, isn't it? To hear and accept what the Lord has done and what he's doing in us. To hear and listen. That's the whole point of this whole parable. 
And the invitation that every one of us has at this point is to take this parable and like a mirror, look into it and see how we compare. And the question comes is what kind of soil are we? I'll tell you, I don't know if any of us can truly know the kind of soil we are until we begin seeing good fruit, right? The first three, they, there's no fruit of that. But the moment there's fruit, you can start getting an idea what God is doing in your life, even if that fruit's not full. But some of us, we may look in that mirror, the mirror of this parable, and we say, you know what? I am one of those who's that seed just bounces off of and the birds are, are coming and that's me. What do I do? Well, you repent of your hardness. You say, Lord, my heart is hard to your things, to the things of your kingdom and the things of your gospel, to the truths. You say, well, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm not hard, but I'm shallow, right? You say, Lord, I repent of my shallowness that keeps my roots from going deeper and finding not just that taste of water, but feasting on the goodness. We say, well, I'm in that soil that's full of weeds. We say, all right, I'm going to repent of your weeds, whatever they are. I mean, whatever your weeds are, whatever it is that's crushing out the spirit in your life, that's crushing out the word from really taking root and producing fruit, you repent of that. You say, Lord, I can't. Why? Because we don't make the kind of soil we are. He does. And so we turn to him and we repent when we're not. And then we get to that fourth soil, you look in that mirror and you say, you know what? I am that fourth soil. Praise the Lord if you're that fourth soil. Don't get a big head because remember, you didn't do it. But praise the Lord if you look in the mirror of this parable and you're that fourth soil. That's exactly what Jesus wants every one of his audience to come away from. So what does that mean? It means that I've accepted the Lord and I've trusted in him and I've given his word a place in my life to grow who I am into fruitfulness. Praise God if that's you. Praise the Lord. Some of us are wondering if we're any of these soils. Some of us are wondering if we could ever be good soil. I don't tell you, this week I got the chance to spend a little bit of time with the sand dunes. I've never hiked on the sand dunes before. It's hard. But if you're going to hike the sand dunes, I have really good advice from somebody who's only done it once. Go in the winter when things are frozen because it's a lot easier to walk uphill in sand snow mix ice than it is when every step you're taking is going down. Here's what I observed in the sand dunes. And and I love that the Lord did this as I had my week. I'm climbing up a sand dune. I haven't seen a plant for miles aside from what I can see on the mountainside, right? And suddenly I look down and there's plants growing. This is the most inhospitable place I can pretty much imagine to grow something. And what was there? Growing plants. And not just some pieces of grass, but like shrubs and bushes. I mean, there weren't any trees, but that makes sense. I mean, how often do we get into nature? We get into inhospitable places. You go to the top of a mountain to the, the alpine tundra, right? And the biggest plant you see is that big. But man, that's like a 300-year-old wildflower that's just holding on. And there's something really beautiful about it. Why? Because it found that tiny bit of good soil that it could grow in and become something amazing. 
you can't always tell good soil by where it is or by what it looks like. But just like a tree can, can find that tiny bit of soil in the middle of a crack and grow and spread its roots out, you know what happens to all those plants, the ones in the tundra, the ones in the sand, or the, the, the tree on the cliffside? As they get older and as they get bigger, as they grow, you know what happens? More and more soil forms around their base. Let me tell you, if you are good soil, you will grow. Because it's not up to you, it's up to him. So maybe you're sitting here today and you are frustrated with where, where you are. I want you to hear this. You too can be good soil. Maybe this is the first day you've ever heard the Lord speaking to you. Maybe this is the first day you've ever heard that what he wants from you is a response. And if that's the case, then I want to urge you before we close, simply this. Number one, do not let Satan carry that seed away today. If that's you right now, do not wait another minute because some kid's going to cough or somebody else is going to do a thing and you're going to be distracted. Give your life to Jesus now. Number two. If that's you, do not let your roots dry up. Number three, do not let the weeds crush in. And number four, receive that seed and grow. Because it's what God wants for you. He told us right here. For this whole crowd, this whole multitude, hear and listen. Behold, listen, right? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I pray that is you today. I pray that's me today. I pray that's our church. And I pray that we would see that happen in the San Luis Valley, in revival, as people would give their lives over to the Lord Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you and we come before you in your name, for you are good and you are holy. Lord, I pray that, that we would not let these distractions come that would drive us away. But Lord, I pray that if your spirit is leading someone to you, even in this moment, that right now it would happen and they would give their life to you. Lord, I pray that if, if you are working in conviction in us to cause us to, to really hear and listen, maybe even for the first time, Lord, that we would do that. And God, we pray that your glory would come from it. It's not about us. It's not about us. It's not about the soil. It's about the fruit that comes out so, Lord, we thank you and we praise you and we come before you on this day, Lord, and we love you in the name of Jesus. Amen.